Malaziz, his first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. This season of loans is officially over as the Conference League has been decided and we have no players in the Champions League final, obviously. Reese Nelson and Feyenoord versus Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Roma in the final, and Mourinho has done it again. 1-0 win to Roma over Feyenoord. Just a classic Mourinho match where Roma scored early and then basically sat back and did nothing for the next 60 minutes. But that's how it goes sometimes, and that's why Mourinho is 5-0 in European finals. The man knows how to win a football match. There's no doubt about it. Reese Nelson started the game at right wing and played 74 minutes. Uh, unfortunately, they came out with a 1-0 loss, as I mentioned. Uh, they took him off while they were chasing the game, which would not have been my choice. Uh, he was actually one of the more influential members you know, of the squad in the second half as they started pushing. Feyenoord started off real slow in the first half. I think they were just not ready for that physicality that Roma brought to the match. Dessers was getting absolutely slammed by Chris Smalling. Sinistera was getting bodied by Mancini. It was not the match that they were looking to play in that first half, and they conceded early, which is what you cannot afford to do against a Mourinho side. But they came out in the second half firing with a lot of energy, and they really made a strong push for it. That first 15 minutes of the second half, they had four or five really excellent opportunities to score a goal, and between some excellent goalkeeping and, and some unlucky bounces, Feyenoord were just unable to score that equalizer, and it was too late after that. They just kind of burnt out all their energy. And Nelson, as I said, was withdrawn in the 74th minute, but he played quite well. Uh, he was 23 of 25 passing, two of four successful dribbles, uh, won three ground duels, and won a tackle. You know, he had some real sparks in this game, and the thing that I've been talking about for a while now, and it was exhibited brilliantly in this match, is Reese Nelson's ability to cut in and drive inside on the pitch on his right foot. Not a lot of wingers, natural wingers, are able to do this. Most natural wingers like to get by their man to the end line, cross it in, or you know, cut it back once they get towards the box. But Reese Nelson likes to pick up the ball in a wide area or almost fully out wide in that area and cut inside, which defenders are not expecting. Especially when you're playing a five at the back, he found a lot of early space between that left center back and that left wing back to receive the ball and make a pass. It's really incredible how he's added this aspect to his game and how fast that has developed uh, in the second half of the season. It's clearly something he's worked on with the coaching staff at Feyenoord. As he got there, they were playing him mostly at left wing to start the season, and then they transitioned him over to right wing. It took him a little while to learn that position. Obviously, the injuries we've spoken about, the COVID that he had, slowed him down a little bit. But once he learned that position and was thrown into that role, he succeeded excellently. And that's where they needed him because Sinistera is a natural left winger. He needs to play there. And they weren't ready to put Nelson out there in front of him. So they really kind of gave him an advantage teaching him this new position. And Nelson, you know, he's spoken about how Van Persie has been a big influence on him since he's been a fan already. He speaks to him before matches. He'll come over on a Wednesday night before a Thursday night conference league match and give him a pep talk and teach him some things about you know, positionally that Wanger had taught him. So it's really interesting to hear that kind of stuff. And, you know, Reese has been really open about 
his struggles and kind of his change in mentality, and, and it's really shown on the pitch. And anybody who saw Reese at youth levels knew the skill that he had and knew that it was starting to go to waste as he started to mature, and Reese admitted to that. He said he didn't have the work ethic when he was younger. He stayed up late. He ate bad food. He wasn't focused on being a professional footballer, which is understandable when you're a 17-year-old kid. You think you're just you know, playing on the school grounds with your mates and you know, doing tricks and whatever, and it's not all that important. But I think over the last few seasons, Reese has realized that things are starting to slip by him, and he's really changed his attitude. And this year was just a perfect example of that. Uh, in this match... Not only was Reese cutting inside excellently, but his combination play was wonderful. And that's really how he gains the most momentum and helps progress play. He is so good at one-touch passing in tight spaces, hitting his center forward, receiving the ball back, then switching it to the opposite wing. And multiple times that spurred a counterattack or an attacking opportunity for Feyenoord in this match and throughout the season. It's amazing to have a player who is comfortable being so wide and comfortable coming inside. That is not always the case for a winger. Some are more comfortable doing one or the other, but Reese has really added both aspects. And he finishes the season here at Feyenoord, helping them to a third-place finish in the Eredivisie, and obviously a loss in the final in the Conference League, but a huge season for him nonetheless. Uh, he started seven matches in the Conference League out of a total nine that he played in, scoring two goals and adding three assists. And in the Eredivisie, he started 10 matches, playing in a 21 total matches, Obviously, first half of the season, he only had one league start before January. Uh, but he scored two goals and added four assists. So end of the day, four goals, seven assists, double di digits for goals and assist numbers this season on loan. You know, keeping in mind that most of that came since January. And it's really a productive season for him. You know, I'm not sure what his future will hold. This one is one that I have not been able to quite figure out in my head. For next season, even though we're in Europa League, I'm not sure Reese Nelson comes in and gets a chance. Obviously, with Enkedia re-signing and it looking like Arsenal still want to bring in two more forwards, I'm not sure the playing time will be there for Reese Nelson. But his value has certainly gone up. He's likely to find himself a very solid transfer, at the very least, to a Crystal Palace-type club in the Premier League, maybe a Brighton or to go abroad and play in the Bundesliga again and test his skills there. I don't think he'll go back to Feyenoord because I just don't think they'll be able to match the valuation that Arsenal would want for him. And I also wouldn't rule out the you know the chance that he comes back, gets his chance to impress in preseason and show Arteta what he's got, and he'll get minutes in Europa League. I mean, obviously people say, you know, Pepe barely played this year, but we got knocked out of cup competitions early, had no European football. There wasn't a chance for Pepe to really play. He's obviously going to leave. He's not going to play again. So maybe Reese steps into that role. Maybe he starts the group stage Europa League matches and some cup games. And if he impresses, he finds himself, you know, as a, a big squad player. And there will be five subs next year in the Premier League and a World Cup break in the middle of the whole season. So you're going to need to have a deep squad this season. If Reese is to stay, he will need to sign a contract extension. I don't see a world in which Arsenal are going to let another player run down their contract. So there's so many things that are going to take a part here. But a very fabulous season for Reese. And, you know, the transfer stuff seems to be happening fast and furious. Uh, I think teams really want to get this done as quick as possible, get the new squad in, and, and the beginning of the season is going to be crucial with that World Cup break in the middle of the winter. So I think we're going to know a lot about Reese's future very soon.
On the other side of the Conference League final was Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Roma. And Maitland-Niles, unfortunately, did not play. He was on the bench, did not get to come in. Nor did he play in the 3-0 win over Torino in the last match day that secured a Europa League spot and sixth place for Roma. So Maitland-Niles finishes the season playing three times in the Conference League, making two starts, and eight times in Serie A, making seven starts, but only two starts after February 19th. Uh, Maitland-Niles also made one start in the Coppa Italia. Obviously, we've spoken about this a bunch, but he only played left wing back and right wing back the entire time he was at Roma. He played no midfield, which seemed to be the reason why he wanted to leave Arsenal in the first place. And that's just bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre. He now is going to come back to Arsenal with an even lower transfer value. I'm not sure what kind of recoup we're going to get on him. I don't see a world in which he's a part of the squad next year. And it's just sad because, you know, after the 1920 season, he played a crucial role for Arteta, you know, helping win the FA Cup. Then in the 2021 season, the Community Shield to start the season and the call-up to the England senior squad. And he just hasn't been able to recoup that form. Uh, This year at Roma, he had 79% passing, about a half of a key pass per match, one tackle per game, unfortunately being dribbled past over one time per game, uh, and then one successful dribble per game at a 60% clip, and three duels won at a 50% clip. These numbers are pretty much where he was at in the 2021 season in the Premier League, but in that season where he was really at his best, in 1920 under Arteta, playing in a right-back, left-back role mostly, not even always at a five at the back, but towards the end of the season in the FA Cup run, definitely playing more at a five at the back. He was a much better player. He was had two big chances created. He had more than a half-key pass per game, a higher percent of passing. He was making more tackles. He was dribbling at a higher rate at a similar clip, and he was just more of a force. He really was. He looked more confident, and that confidence just hasn't come back, and I thought the loan spell would help with that. I think that's why he went out on loan, and unfortunately, you know, he fell out of Mourinho's good graces, and we know how that can go with a player. It's an odd one for Ainsley. I'm not sure what the next steps are for him either, but again, don't see him playing for Arsenal next season. More likely than not, I see him transferring to a mid-to-low-level Premier League team permanently and trying to step into their midfield and being a utility player. I mean, I'm not comparing him to James Milner, but if you look at someone like Milner, a utility player is so useful, especially when there's going to be five subs next year, plus, as I've mentioned, the World Cup break, and you're going to need a deeper squad. So a guy who can fill in in multiple positions is going to be a sought-after man. So I think he'll find himself a transfer uh, maybe to one of the promoted clubs. Fulham, I could see that for sure. We'll we'll have to see what happens. Uh, And the last player, just to kind of say something about is Tim Akindola, who we know didn't get to play much on loan, but he has now recovered from his injuries, no longer in the boot, and is training uh, back with Arsenal. So that is good news for him, likely to go out on loan next year, one to keep an eye on. Uh, But another unfortunate loan player, similar to Ainsley, who just didn't really get his chance. Uh, In other news, as I have been saying for an entire year, Daniel Ballard, big report today from Charles Watts, that he's likely to be sold this summer. It's understood that Arsenal sat down with Ballard and his agents, and they've agreed mutually that a transfer is the best next move. Um, Ballard is really an excellent player, someone who will succeed immediately in the Premier League. I'm fairly confident of that, but not necessarily in a possession-dominant side. He is 
excellent at winning duels. He is a no-nonsense defender. He rarely puts a foot wrong, and he keeps the game in front of him. That is a very valuable asset to a team that is going to, you know, try and hit on the counterattack, allow attacks at them, but, you know, try and control the game kind of in the middle part of the pitch and in their own half, but in a, on a resilient way. Ballard is six foot two. He's a, not the tallest, but he's a very well-sized center back. And he just won't get a chance at Arsenal for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, Saliba, White, and Gabriel all ahead of him. And it just doesn't make sense for a guy whose value will never be higher to not sell him now. In modern football, the youth academy is not just there to supply players, but it's there to supply a profit. And if we can sell Daniel Ballard for a double-digit fee, you know, that funds multiple years of Eddie Nketiah's, Nketiah's new contract, right? So you have to look at it at his business side, and you have to look at it for the player. Daniel Ballard is coming out of a great season with a lot of confidence, and he wants to keep that going. And it'll be likely that Arsenal include either a buyback clause or a sell-on clause so that if Ballard goes to a club and becomes a massive player, there's nothing wrong with that, but they can still recoup some fee from that. So to me, this likely means Rob Holding isn't leaving unless we bring in another center back. I think it's more likely we're going to bring in Aaron Hickey, which seems already almost done, and maybe another utility-type guy, someone like Tomiyasu who can fill in in multiple positions. I know Holding has thought about wanting to leave, and obviously a lot of people have kind of come to the realization that he's not the level that we need. He's great coming in to close out a game for 10, 12 minutes, but has quite a few liabilities. On the international side of things, we're getting to that part of the year where we'll be covering our Hailand lads and our Arsenal players who are representing their international teams this summer. First and foremost, Omari Hutchinson got his first senior call-up to an international side, and we spoke about it briefly last week, but that was for Jamaica, and he got to play for Jamaica on May 25th, played 45 minutes in a friendly against Catalonia, and Catalonia deployed an incredibly experienced side in comparison to Jamaica's. I mean, Ricky Puig, Mingueza, uh, Gerard de Lefeu, Christian Tello, I mean, tons of experienced players versus Jamaica who didn't even play their strong players, nor does it seem like they were a part of the match day squad. I think this was really to test it out. Um, Jamaica didn't really see much of the ball. Uh, Omari only played in the first 45 minutes, and the first few times he got the ball, he looked a little shell-shocked. He had way less space to operate in and much fewer opportunities than he was seeing at the U23 level, and he lost the ball pretty cheaply. But he grew into the game in the few times he did get to touch it, uh, making a few nice passes, kind of finding pockets of space in between the midfield line and the back line. But again, Jamaica really not a technically skilled side that was out there and very little possession of the ball against a very experienced Catalonia side. Um, the next two matches that Jamaica have are against Suriname, but those are in the Nations League. So this match against Catalonia was not a FIFA-sanctioned match Therefore, Amari Hutchinson can still keep his eligibility to play for England in the future, which I'm sure he'll want to do. Therefore, I don't know if you'll see him feature in these CONCACAF Nations League matches for Jamaica because he could then get tied down to Jamaica and never get the chance to potentially get a cap for England. So we'll have to see what happens there. We'll keep an eye on it. But that would be my guess is that he will not play in the FIFA-sanctioned matches against Suriname. Also on that side of the world, we have Marcelo Flores, who is training with the Mexico senior team during this call-up, and they have 
six matches coming up. They have Nigeria, Uruguay, and Ecuador in some friendlies and some conference, uh, I'm sorry, some CONCACAF Nations League matches against Suriname and Jamaica. So Marcelo Flores definitely going to feature heavily in those friendlies, if I had to guess. And if he, you know, succeeds and plays well, I think you'll see him play a big part in the Nations League. He is a player who's making a big push to be a part of this World Cup squad in December, and he's going to want to impress immediately with every chance he gets. So it'll be exciting to see him, especially when the ball is at his feet. And he'll be a player that plays a lot in the Europa League next year. That will be my guess. He's going to get a lot of Europa League action next year. On the Eastern Hemisphere side of the world, you've got Emile Smith-Rowe and Fullerin Balgoon, who are called up to the England U21 side for their Euro qualifiers. Uh, they play Czech Republic, Albania, Kosovo, and Slovenia. Four matches. Uh, as you remember, Balgoon last played for the U21s during this last international break in March and was excellent. He was one of the best players on the pitch. He scored three goals in two matches. He scored all different types of goals. He was crucial in build-up, and, you know, he looked like a man amongst boys out there. So it'll be fun to watch him again with the U21s. And Smith-Rowe last represented the England senior team in last November, as you remember, got that first call-up. But he did represent the U21s in October, just a month earlier. Uh, he played four matches for England at this level and has contributed a goal. So it'll be fun to see these guys link up. I mean, Smith-Rowe really is going to look like a man amongst boys with all the senior football he's got and the great season he had this year. I'd be shocked if you don't see him get a goal contribution, assuming he gets minutes. But that England U21 side is no joke. They got Harvey Elliott. I mean, they're going to be beasts. And they're three points behind the Czech Republic right now in their group, but have two games in hand on them. Uh, the top team in each group auto-qualifies to the U21 Euros. Uh, and then the second-place teams, the number one second-place team, qualifies automatically, while the other eight play in a mini-bracket type thing uh, to find those final teams that get into the tournament. Uh, even younger looking here in England, Rule Walters gets another call-up for the U18s for the second straight international break. As we've spoken about previously, he has impressed immensely at Arsenal since both Brooke Norton Cuffey and Ryan Alabiosu went out on loan in January. And he'll play in the three friendlies against Australia, Wales, and Croatia. I assume he'll play mostly at right back. And he's a real player to watch. He's going to play in these friendlies, and next year he's going to be a mainstay in the under-23 side at right back. And he's a serious product. So that is big news for him. In other international news, Carl Hein is back in the Estonia squad which is great news coming back from the injury. Obviously that freak accident that ended his Reading loan spell, but great to see him back with the first team. They're going to be facing San Marino and Malta in the Nations League, and they also have a friendly against Albania. So if Carl Hein is fully healthy, I expect to start him to start all three matches. He's a massive talent. He's already represented Estonia multiple times, double digits amount of times, and he's going to be a mainstay on their side. And, He'll keep them in games because they're not a seriously good team and they need a seriously good goalie, and they have that in Carl Hine. Uh, on the senior side of things, Ramsdale, Ben White, and Saka all in the England squad. They have Nations League matches twice against Hungary, uh, one against Germany, one against Italy in the space of 10 days. So I assume Saka will start at least three of those matches. Who knows? There was a little thing with Southgate and Arteta where, you know, Arteta, I think, has said something about, you know, keeping Saka fresh and not overusing him. 
um, in these Nations League matches, so maybe Sokka will only start one or two. Jared Bowen also got a call-up. I'm sure Southgate will want to see what he's about and to see if he's going to make it into the World Cup squad. And, you know, I'd expect Ramsdale to get at least one start in goal and Ben White at least one start in the back line, maybe one at center back, one at right back. Also depends on his fitness coming back from injury. But those will be fun to watch. And uh, last but not least, big news as Catalan Surjan has signed a contract extension after missing this entire season with a bad knee injury. He's one of the big prospects at Hale End, and it's been a huge bummer that he didn't get to play this season. He's a very interesting profile and a huge talent. Hopefully he fully recovers, but Arsenal must like the way his recovery has gone, considering they've given him a contract extension. I know he loves the club. He's very excited to get back out on the pitch next year. You know, if he's fully healthy, starts playing well at the U23 side, he's a sneaky player who might get a senior appearance next year in the Europa League. I would keep an eye out on that. Or if he plays real good in the first few months, maybe a January loan spell for him. So, big news there. Lots to watch coming up. We've got, you know, the Champions League final on Saturday. That'll be fun, just from a footballing standpoint. But Omari Hutchinson and Marcelo Flores have matches coming up. The U21 Euro qualifiers are going to be a lot of fun in early June. Um, watching Roe Walters will be a lot of fun as well. He's a huge, huge prospect. And the transfer window is going to be a little nuts. I think you might see Ballard and Alabiosu both lead permanently. You might see some other shock moves, I think. There's a lot of talent in Hale End right now. And at a certain point, there's not enough space for it. So it'll be exciting to see what happens. Really exciting that Eddie Nketiah has signed that contract extension. Always good to see another Hale End graduate succeeding at the club and getting his chance to prove himself at Arsenal. I know there's some speculation over the wages, but... I mean, with football these days, the prices are so inordinate, you can't really worry about it. My guess is it's not going to be 100k per week, probably in the 75 to 90k per week range, which is really not that ridiculous. It may look ridiculous now, but on a five-year deal in three years, if he's our number one striker, you're, you're paying pennies on the dollar here. So that's an investment. I don't think it affects our summer transfer plans at all, and it seems like we're trying to get after it early. So we'll keep an eye on all of that, and our you know youth players out on loan. And it's been great covering these guys. The loan period has finally come to an end. I appreciate everyone listening. And, you know, I'm going to keep it going each week with different content, try to keep it interesting, obviously covering our players playing for international sides. But, hey, if you got any questions or anything you want me to cover or, you know, preseason, whatever it might be, if you want profiles on certain players, hit me up. Happy to do a little chat about it. Looking to have some guests on for the next few weeks. Been in contact with some people. Should be a fun time. Stay listening, and I'll talk to you next week.